Everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. And then he likes you. I was seven years old. Michael asked, do you and the family want to come to Neverland? We drive in and forget about all your problems. You were in Neverland. It was a fantasy. The days were filled with magic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Whether you need photography, videography, aerial drone photography, web design, podcast support, or technical support, EliasRoushMedia.com has you covered. Today we are discussing Leaving Neverland Part 2 and the Oprah interview with the accusers. So I finished Part 2 of Leaving Neverland, the four-hour, two-part documentary series Plus the Oprah interview, which is another hour. So, good golly, I am at five hours of leaving Neverland. uh, Five hours of leaving Neverland media. And to be honest, after this podcast, I am done with it. I'm done with it. I think three hours of this documentary was plenty enough and maybe a 20-minute interview at the end. Having four hours of documentary plus an Oprah interview that lasts an hour just is too much, um, especially just it, trying to watch all this information. And given that I feel like we get the the majority of it within the first three hours or hour and a half, really, um, that it it can be told in a much more condensed story uh, story arc. Um, this is um, strung out a little bit excessively, in my opinion. So. Leaving Neverland Part 2, I expect you to have... I, I guess we can do a quick non-spoiler bumper for people that have not seen the second part of Leaving Neverland Part 2 or the first one, but we can kind of talk about it a little bit in non-spoilers. The first part really covers the the ins and outs of what happened to the accusers from the ages of when they were roughly 5 to maybe 15 Part two focuses on the the legalities of what happened between Michael Jackson and the the other accusers and uh, the state that was trying to nail him down for pedophilia. So the second half of the documentary focuses much more on the legal ins and outs of what he had to go through, um, Michael Jackson had to go through as well as the um, accusers and their families. So I preferred the second part of the documentary to the first. The first half felt a little bit strung out in the way that it was told because it gave so much detailed backstory of both of these accusers that I felt like I was kind of watching the same story twice in two different fashions. So... Maybe the the downfall in the documentary is that there are two accusers and that they're able to get both of their stories out um, in full fashion, which basically leads us to have two two story arcs that we have to follow, which creates a hell of a long to- a st- story to tell. And they wrap it around how they wrap the theme is all wrapped around how Michael. Um, kind of destroyed these people's lives. And it 
is extremely de- damning evidence um, from the accusers. I'm not saying whether he did or didn't do it. I'm just saying that it doesn't look great. Um, I know the Jackson estate has already uh, unequivocally denied everything in the um, in the documentaries, but I mean these guys have some pretty detailed information about what happened to them, and they do seem genuinely in distress. So I don't want to take anything away from people that you know are on the left on one side versus the other. Always want to get um, the you know if an accuser has something to say, let them you know let them speak. But also there has to be you know proper uh, investigations within it, and there was an investigation shown in um, in the second part of the documentary and uh, into Michael Jackson's estate. So. That's pretty much the the bare bones of part one and part two. I'd say uh, the the filmmaking storytelling technique in part two is much more, um, I'd say, narratively satisfying in my in my opinion as a complete whole. Because the first half of the documentary, part one, really felt just like an extended intro sequence of both of these people's lives. And uh, I, I thought it really could have been condensed. So um, I really I, I, I enjoyed the estate shots they had of Neverland and um, a lot of California, honestly. I think that the drone shots served a well, uh, an interesting purpose to show where they were in proximity of location. But also it gave us kind of a mental relief from looking at the accusers all the time because there are no recreations throughout this entire um, documentary. We're seeing a lot of the talking heads. We're seeing a lot of the drone shots. We're seeing a lot of the same repeated pictures of um, Michael Jackson and the kids. And uh, I, I, I gotta say there was kind of a lot of the same photos and I was, like okay, I can start to see where the seams are breaking, where they didn't have tons of footage, um, so tons of archived footage, and I think they saved some of the best archived footage toward the second half, which revolved much more around the legal um, legality that you know Michael Jackson had to go through. So let me talk about the Oprah interview real quick before we jump into spoilers. The Oprah interview was uh, the first. Okay, so let me set the scenario up for anyone that has not seen the Oprah interview. First of all, it's just like the old Oprah talk show. You know, she's sitting down with a couple of guests. This happens to be the director, Dan Reed, which he has got director written all over him. He's very meticulous in the way he kind of carries himself. Um, Kind of reminds me of a Howie Mandel on Deal or No Deal or something. Uh, So. Uh, they had Dan Reed and Wade Robinson and Jimmy Safechuck, which were the two accusers. And I, I did not realize at first that I recognized Wade Robinson from back in the day. He was, he ends up being uh, someone in the entertainment business that a lot of people probably uh, will recognize once they see Part Two. But anyways, um, the Oprah interview. 
doesn't seem to unfold anything that we didn't already know in the four hours we're spending with these two guys um, over the course of the documentary. So the ultimate problem with the the Oprah interview is, one, it's too long. Two, she's asking many of the same questions the first half of the Oprah interview that the documentary is covering. And and it doesn't seem until maybe the last 20 minutes of the Oprah interview that you're really getting some meat to what they're talking about. It, and it's kind of more forth, you know, it's kind of more meta. It's, it's like she asked the question, the tough questions, like, why did you come out? You know, at, why are you speaking out now? Um, why um, are you ready for the, the hate that you're about to get there's 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 tons of people that feel extremely passionate about this subject and that's that's the type of questions that I wanted to have from um from Oprah I wanted her to really grill them on you know the the deep I guess the meta aspects that come with making a documentary like this and one thing that I'd say the most important thing that uh, came from the doc- the Oprah interview was, um, you know, are you ready for that, you know, the backlash that you're about to receive? And it sounds like Wade and, and Jimmy have both received backlash on both sides. Um, but ultimately, the the most interesting thing that came from that Oprah interview was the fact that Dan Reed said he would have made the documentary regardless if Michael Jackson was still alive or not. And I don't know if they, those two accusers would have came out um, with the information they did if Michael Jackson was still alive. So in my opinion, I don't think this would have come to fruition. So, yeah, that's basically part two, part one, part two, and the Oprah interview, all in non-spoilers. We pretty much, you know... It, it, there's not terribly that much to talk about in spoilers because it's it's all really recent and factual. It's 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 um, it's happened within you know our lifetime. The majority of people listening to this. So uh, at least I hope so. I hope you're not like <laughs> ten listening to this. Jeez, you got to be a lucky dog, listeners. You know you got to have some maturity to him. Got to have a little you know a little maturity to you. So uh, let's hop into Part two, Leaving Neverland, spoilers, right now. Okay, so by now, um, let's talk about the one scene that really, uh, I, I say really too much. I think the one, the one scene that I found the most compelling from a directorial standpoint, and that was when the family finds out that Michael Jackson has gone into a coma and he ends up um, passing away. So one of the mothers, I believe it was not safe Chuck. It was Robinson's mom. I want to say it was Wade Robinson, Miss Robinson's mom, I think. I want to say she, one of, one of the mothers said she jumped up in excitement and danced when she heard about the death of Michael Jackson. And then it cross cuts with the other mother saying she's, she felt like she lost a family member. She lost, she felt like she lost a son. And I thought that was the most jarring and most interesting storytelling 
when it came down to it, which is something they didn't really touch on that much. I wanted to kind of see all of these people all in one room, which is nothing, it never happened. And I guess maybe that's where I'm starting to feel a little bit left out. Like I was like, okay, they're all coming together and it's really going to be something. And the Oprah interview ultimately didn't feel like they were even in the same room. They were giving some, they were giving many of the same answers. I guess, I guess one of the most compelling things they could have done is had Wade Robinson and Jimmy Savechuck interview each other and talk to each other, which is something that we don't see on the documentary. I think as a documentary um, a critiquer, I guess, or something, maybe one day a producer or director, if I was making this documentary, I would have had them in the same room talking to each other because I felt like even in the interview style, they they didn't get any of their points across and they never really got to cross-examine each other. And they kind of knew about each other, but they very much were, they felt like from very two different worlds. And as the viewer, we want to see these two worlds collide. We want to see how they interact. And I feel like that's ultimately where the balls dropped, especially on the Oprah interview, because I just didn't feel that they really got to talk to each other. I, I wasn't so much interested in Oprah talking to them. I wanted them to talk to each other and talk about their experiences, maybe, you know, not detailed experiences, but, you know, what it felt like, what they went through, you know, that type of thing. It seems like they had very similar experiences, but also uniquely different in a way. So if that's possible, you know. So um, let's see, anything else from the non-polls? I know I'm skipping some things. I really liked the, um, from the technical standpoint again, the music, I thought the music was uh, beautiful, and it wasn't too heavy-handed, in my opinion. A lot of documentaries sometimes can, you know, have the real serious music when they're like, okay, now you've got to pay attention, and you should probably be pissed at these people, and, you know, dun, 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 you know, the, the dramatic mic drop happens. I never felt like the music was really leading my emotions. It just kind of led me on the course of the narrative that it went. So the director in the Oprah interview, I'm going to talk about the Oprah interview kind of interchangeably with this uh, spoiler section. The Oprah interview basically stated that Dan Reed specifically didn't want to talk to the Jackson estate because naturally they would say negative things about the accusers and trying to um, you know, say that they were – making it up. Um, so he felt that it wasn't narratively interesting to have people who were, um, have an invested interest in the estate on the documentary, which I thought was interesting. I don't, I don't know how I felt about that. I mean, I guess there's tons of people that do feel very loyal to Michael, but there isn't one or two people. I guess the accusers are the people that, were once extremely loyal to him, and now they can they are you know telling their story. I can't think of too many people off the top of my head. I guess maybe performers would have been interesting to have on there. I guess I kind of wanted a little bit wider scope of what other people thought about Michael Jackson. This was so solely focused because this is four hours. 
directed on these two accusers and their families and the repercussions of what happened to them um, and their families, it feels like there's room in this documentary for them to, you know, to pull pull back the curtain a little bit on what other uh, individuals thought, you know, of Michael Jackson. I mean, we got some political sayings, you know, people in politics saying, you know, it's not right for a 35-year-old man to be hanging out with 10-year-old boys. But we didn't get anyone of note. We didn't get, you know, Britney Spears was apparently good friends with him. It would have been great to get, you know, Britney's take on him. I mean, obviously it's, Obviously, the takes would be extremely positive if they were, you know, role models of in their life. If he was a role model in their life, but honestly, it it, it feels a little one sided, and you know, I I don't I sorry I I felt weird when I saw Wade Robinson on the Oprah interview not come out 100% and say, I don't want the money. I mean, he said, Oprah calls it, calls him out and says, you know, you're going to have um, people, tons of people come after you. You know, they're going to say you're doing this all for the money. And Jimmy Safechuck looked like he could safely say that he doesn't really want the money. But Wade Robinson just see, came off as a little bit more, and eh, it's the only way to get the estate to really listen and yada, yada, yada. Um you know, if you're suing the most one of the most famous people ever, you know that there's money coming along with it, and so I'm not going to sit sit back and you know try to ignore that. And I'm glad Oprah on her interview, the last 20 minutes, like I said, are the most interesting. She calls him out on it, and the way that you know Wade's answering, I'm not a hundred percent. I don't believe that he wants you know a, a nice paycheck, and I you know. If he was abused as a child from Michael Jackson, I mean, he's probably going to get a decent payout if it was if it's true. Everything is if it's true, um, but yeah. So uh, it's it's a sticky situation all around. The documentary is too damn long. There is an incredible amount of detail, but there's also a decent amount of detail that is missing. Um, one of the families admits that at one point Michael Jackson bought them a house and it looks like they might've been paid off, but you know, obviously they say they weren't. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a sticky situation all around. It's incredibly difficult to watch, you know, the first half, I would say over the second half. I mean, I did care about, you know, the, the, I think it was the Robinson family breaking up. And, you know, how how they have to, you know, address their mom now because they, you know, the, the siblings really blame their mom for the, you know, the, the suicide of their father and the breaking up of the, the uh, family. And that's – and it's all led back to Michael Jackson. It is it, – it's, it's, it's powerful. The thing is I don't know if it's done in a, a quick enough fashion where it's going to hit you emotionally all at once. So finishing up, um, I really wanted to just address how unique Wade Robinson's uh, situation was and how his life is all built around Michael Jackson. And well, not just Wade Robinson, both of their lives are very heavily influenced, but Wade's especially. Um, 
just Michael influenced Wade's, uh, you know, career trajectory from the time he was five. I mean, the reason Wade was dancing was because of Michael's moves on the dance floor. And now seeing Wade, you know, continue to dance and continue to express himself and, you know, you know, give a part of himself to society through dance, I think is a powerful thing. And that's one of the, you know, the silver linings within this um, horrible documentary about about them. And if if you wanted to look at the silver lining, it was, you know, the the brightness that, you know, that Michael brought to people. I mean, you can't deny that Michael brought people together. I think, you know, if you could take away all the horrible things that he's been accused of doing, he really did bring a massive community together. And it's something you can't deny his, his celebrity stardom, his, uh, um, apparently he had, you know, tons of charisma if all of these people were, you know, falling over him. Uh, I know the money is probably influential as well, but still, this guy was a one of a kind individual. And honestly, after watching this four hour documentary, you find out some of you, you find out that he's accused of some of the worst and most heinous crimes. And it is difficult to listen to, but it also doesn't go without the fact of noticing that he created these individuals, um, lie. He, he paved, paved for better or for worse their Wade Robinson's and Jimmy Safechuck's lives lives and their families and have unequivocally changed them forever and you know documentaries like this are um you know kind of I would I'd like to say are kind of uh you know closing the book closing you know what would say a major chapter of their their lives, but it might be opening up another door. We really don't know. So, an it an extremely difficult subject to cover. It was a uh, like I said, it was too damn long. I'd probably watch another documentary from this guy, but I'm not watching another four hours um, on something like this again. I'm just it's not my forte, and I'd prefer not to. So. Leaving Neverland. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was that was uh, that was a lot to handle, honestly. But if there's anything else I missed, um, I'll try to throw it in the show notes. Check out our Twitch stream because we are trying to start up the streaming a little bit more and have some more interaction with there. If you want to ask some questions, comments, concerns, if if you can't hear me enough, if I'm not speaking loud enough, if not if I'm not. Uh, answering enough questions from individuals, you let me know what I can, what I can do, how I can get better. Either join us on the Twitch stream or join us uh, or email us, and I can answer your question on air at the Lucky Dog Podcast at gmail I appreciate you listening. Please rate, share, subscribe. Let us know how we can improve. That's that's all we can do is improve. If you have uh, five cents, two cents, you know, a dollar here and there. It would be amazing if you could donate at the PayPal link in the description. It is, uh, we take care of the fees, so don't worry about that. Um, I appreciate everything you all do listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast.
Thank you for listening. Check out the rest of the, the check out the rest of the library. Coming up, we have uh, we already have the Umbrella Academy taken care of. We have covered her. We um, with Joaquin Phoenix. We have covered um, what is it called? Uh, Cold War, Green Book. Um, Won't you be my neighbor? A Star is Born. How to Train Your Dragon. The Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, tons and tons of other content coming down the tube. The Lucky Dog Podcast. Thank you for listening and take it easy. Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So, congratulations. I love you. Goodbye. There's no thoughts of this is wrong or anything like that. He told me if they ever found out what we were doing he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives. Secrets will eat you up. You feel so alone. I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long.